Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've worked on dozens of films, shorts and features as either a producer or a director. And I'm just finishing up my first feature film as a writer-director called The Alternate. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer-director producer with two features under my belt and one somewhere out there in the future around the corner in the ether. My second feature is currently on Showtime. It's called Speed of Life. I am also a former film critic and current distribution consultant uh, who used to manage the creative distribution initiative at Sundance. This week, we have filmmaker Michelle Boyner on the show to talk about releasing her latest feature, It's Not a Burden, which she shot with a tiny crew. And it's all about um, adult children taking care of their elderly parents. Uh, We hear how the story took shape, uh, starting with Michelle's own parents, and then circling out until they interviewed over 30 families, which they narrowed down to the um, 20 or so families. I think she changed it when we talked about it, but 20 or so families featured in the film. Uh, We also talked to Michelle about making documentaries over fiction films and how she supports her life 100% on filmmaking without doing any corporate video work. Um, okay, I'm gonna. I have to readjust that because we, she has side projects, and so yeah, I but, don't know if but they're it's not, not corporate, corporate. But it's not corporate. I made her say that. Okay, I trust you. They'll get hired by people to do documentary projects or to do filmmaking projects. They're individuals. They're like these okay. little art pieces. They're there's more like art. It's not like selling a product for a company or like a you know suits and boardrooms, which is what most people do. Which I thought was like extremely fascinating. Okay, I believe you. And I do somewhat remember that. Okay, so we talked to her and just speaking candidly, I loved the interview with Michelle. Um, I thought that she she's clearly a rehearsed interviewee. Like she's just had, she strut into the room with a lot of confidence and um, a lot of vulnerability and just wonderful. But so I hope everyone enjoys that show, but don't go away after the show because we have director Ambrose Miller to talk about their short film, Banana Peel Man. And we also have a new letter to read from a certain returning You've Got Mail contributor. But without further, uh, uh, here is our talk with Michelle. It's our third feature documentary. So we're that crazy. We're that crazy. It's like, it's such an interesting medium, I guess to say, because it's so different than a scripted narrative, but uh, it's, it's got its own in crazy challenges. And it's just like a different way of approaching filmmaking. But uh, yeah, it's crazy because with narrative, you have a script and you have actors (laughs) and they have lines and in a documentary, you have to build those lines from things that people say with a lot of pauses in between. And, um, you know, it's, I always, when we first started, I always tried to do like a short uh, narrative in between because it felt such a relief to know that the words would flow out of somebody um, in, in some way. And then it helps, you know, ease the wounds of really trying to put all the words together to make it all say something that you want it to say, you know? So uh, it was a little bit of an exercise in, in, uh, in that. And, but yeah, it's, 
it's all, we're lucky to be able to do it. I'm like coming up with questions just based off this conversation. So I'll save them for later. Um, but yeah, should we just jump into these, these rapid yeah. fire? Go for it, Alric. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So give us the elevator pitch for It's Not a Burden. Well, we're all wearing masks in the elevator. Is that what you're saying? Because you say elevator and I have to tell you right now that I can't imagine being in an elevator, but Uh, The elevator pitch through my mask that I don't have on right now is that this is a film about the relationships between adult children and their aging parents. So we've gathered together these 20 stories of families across the U.S. who are in one way or another helping their parents as they're aging. So it's anything from, oh, the elevator door opened. I'm sorry, we're done. Yeah, <laughs> you're out of time. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. It's about that relationship. It's showing those relationships and and what that looks like for different people. How many days did you shoot this documentary? Uh, days, years. Uh, we've been in production on the documentary since early 2015, and uh, probably over the course of it, had about uh, I'd say 120 different shooting dates. Uh, you know, between traveling and setting up with all the, we did film with uh, over 32 families, 20 families made it into the final cut, but as well as filming continuously over that period of time with both my parents. Uh, So lots of shoot dates with that as well. What was the rough budget? Ah, uh, um, if you can say. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say with my distributor. I don't know, but it was in the, you know, low-ish six figures, let's say, Uh, you know, it was, you know, raised $25 at a time. It was a beautifully crowdfunded and continually crowdfunded. And here's another round of Michelle on social media asking for money. And, you know, so lots of individual donations. And uh, so got us to the finish line and the film we envisioned uh, had a lot more bells and whistles and that didn't happen because, you know, we, it was exhausting asking for money, you know, so we, we, but we are so thrilled with what we ended up with. Uh, you spoke to this a little bit, but how long did you spend working on the film from the inception to its release? Yeah. So, uh, the inception was in late 2014 and it's being released June 1st, 2021. So I I'd say, you know, a good six plus years. Um, and then how big was your crew? Let me see. I would say Barbara Green, who is my wife, my partner, my person, is my cinematographer and editor. I'm the writer director. Uh, we produced it along with one, two, three, three producer producers, and then a, a group of executive producers. Um, so, you know, under 10 people, we had a compose a wonderful composer, uh, was I supposed to do the math on this and just give you a number? <laughs> Can you erase this part? Uh, no, yeah, this is it, great. <laughs> we're Swiss army knives over here at Greeny Films. We do it all. We wear all the hats. We feel lucky when we can have a, a location sound person. Otherwise, Barbara Green is doing our sound and she's on camera uh, with our small little footprint and our little lobs. And that's how we roll. So. so it sounds like two to three. Yeah, it's two. It's two. It's two. It's always wow. Barbara, Barbara and I. And but that also really gives you an intimacy with people where they really do forget that there's a camera there and they think they're in conversation with me about this thing. And uh, that's really the beauty and the secret to what we do. I don't we wouldn't know what to do with a bigger crew. We wouldn't want it. I, I, I love big crews. No, no, I, I love it. 
I mean, you know, uh, it's aged us immensely, but uh, at the same time, because we can do all those things, we do them. And, and so, but I've been on set with, with large crews and it's beautiful and it's a wonderful thing. And, but you know, we're, we're doing it all right now. We're doing it all. Uh, Compare it to all the other projects you've done. How difficult was this one? This was the most difficult thing uh, only because it adds in the aspect of the personal stories of my parents. So I am on, I am being included in the filming. I'm not observing or uh, which I did do with all the other families, but I'm also in it. So there was a level of then handing over the trust to Barbara, my partner, to just keep rolling no matter what would happen when it was my family storyline, you know? So most difficult, top of the heap. I, I love hearing about documentary filmmakers or just filmmakers in general, like the, the process of like what you do when you're on set. So you say it's just you you two going in there. Yeah. Um, like how, how much gear are you bringing with you? Is it just one camera? Is it two cameras? Like how much yeah. lighting do you bring? Like what what's your basic setup natural light when we come in somewhere it's starting to open shades up what can we turn on you know we're not it's uh two or three camera bags one camera uh this was shot on the sony um the sony this hold on i'm not holding that camera this was shot on the sony a7s2 this was with sound going in um, wow. at times a tiny monitor, Barbara Green should win every, can, every honor there should be for being <laughs> that person. You need to understand that is like tough and holding that camera and, you know, her, and sh- it's a lot of handheld. She is not on a tripod most of the time. And that's the beauty of what we do too, is the looseness of it. You know, sh- when we're looking at footage and I'm like, when did you get that POV? Like, I didn't know you were behind the dog. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like peeking over the dog's head with the dog's ears in the foreground, you know, or whatever it might be. And she just is a magician and everyone should have a Barbara Green. Let me tell you, she doesn't want to, <laughs> she doesn't want to be a Barbara Green. She wants to have 10 other people holding the cameras, but that just isn't what, <laughs> what happens with us. So yeah, it's, it's all. It's all shot, one camera. Um, we edit it here in our offices. You know, when we when we get into post, that's when we might bring in someone to help sweeten this or that. That's when we bring in our sound editor and composer, sound design, all of that. But it's us in the field, just the two of us. Usually my question is, let's go back in time. And I'm, I usually ask a lot of origin questions, but now I kind of want to actually go in the future. So clearly over the pandemic, we all had various personal reckonings. I'm curious about the release plan for this film in mm. relation to everything that went on with older citizens and being locked inside and people caretaking. Um, was that always part of the, I mean, obviously it couldn't have been part of the plan six years ago, but can you tell yeah. us about the evolution of the release strategy? For well, it was film? part of the plan. I actually released the virus into the communities <laughs> because I thought, because <laughs> I thought, hey, let's challenge ourselves. Let's have, <laughs> let's try to finish a film and then let's have no film festivals to release it yeah. to. And then let's have the algorithm completely change on all streaming so that all people are watching are mini series, documentary series about murderers. So no one's going to want to look at a film like this. No. Um, we, every, every other one of our films has played multiple festivals and have found our distribution through either those festivals or a different, our last film was acquired by HBO. We premiered on HBO uh, after premiering at Palm Springs International opening night. It was a wonderful, like you couldn't have a better dream for a film. Um, 
And uh, this film, we were shooting all prior to the pandemic happening. Uh, we wrapped up and we're in post-production uh, as, as the, at the end of 2019. So just as we were getting into 2020, but we weren't ready to start submitting or doing anything yet and then finished and it was the world was shut down, you know? So uh, this was very challenging, you know, and we weren't filming with any of the families anymore. So we didn't see the pandemic through the eyes of adult children who weren't able to, for example, visit their parents in their assisted living places. We were in touch with those families. We knew what they were going through, but we knew also that we could not open this back up and keep going. You know, uh, we, we, it felt urgent to get these stories out into the world, uh, especially as we were seeing that, that older people, it was like, at the beginning of this when it was sort of like, well, we can, we can lose some old people. It's fine. You know? Uh, and we just really felt, we really felt an urgency to get this out into the world. So um, nothing went according to plan with our release or with our distribution at all, but we are thrilled that the film is done. We're thrilled to be, to have Gravitas uh, bring it out into the world for us. And we did retain our theatrical rights so that when the world opens up next year, we are hoping to do a, a theatrical tour with the film. So oh, after digital, that's after so interesting. Digital, we are doing, we are just because why not? I mean, look what's happening in the world. It's like the films, you know, uh, everybody's making up rules fast, you know, and hard right now. So why not? And, and it's, we're being allowed to do that. So uh, we will, um, we will be working on that once things feel safe to, to do that. And because this is really a film to help start a conversation and to help people know they're not alone in this kind of caregiving journey. And we want to hear people, a theater filled with people laughing at my mother and laughing along with these families and, and, and experiencing the, that, that feeling of, of uh, shared uh, sitting in a theater together and watching it. So that's our plan. I have a question that, um, you know, not sure how good the answer is going to be, but I'm just curious. Like, so you had this Come movie. Come on, give me credit. <laughs> Come out. It's going to be a good it, answer. It, it came out through HBO. You know, your 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 documentary prior to this one. Yeah. Um, would there ever be a world where once this movie is done, like rather than going to festivals, you just take it to the team at HBO and say, "Hey, like we just finished this movie. What do you think? Do you want to you want to buy it? Are you interested? Or is that you mean not our, how it works? You mean our current film? Mm -hmm. Prior to Gravitas's involvement, what he's asking. I see. Well, I will tell you that when when the film was complete, we did uh, have a conversation with HBO. They we wanted to take it to them first. They were being kept updated on it, and when when we brought it to them, they had so much on their slate, so much had changed. Again, the world had completely changed, and they were so certain that another streamer that had the unlimited ability to program as many things as they wanted to, rather than have only a certain number of slots to fill, they were certain uh, that somebody else was gonna pick this up. And so they, they passed in the most beautiful way. I was standing in a Staples mm. on the uh, envelope aisle when I got the call. Uh, and uh, it was a wonderful call filled with how uh, much they loved the film and went on and on about it. And, so much so that I thought it was going to be a pickup, but it was, uh, it was the other thing. So I can't uh, go to that. I can't really go to that Staples anymore because it's too triggering. <laughs> um, but they were so gracious and believed in this film and cheered us on. And, and, and so we took that and put it in our backpack and wept a little bit and then just kept going and definitely, you know, showed this to 
some wonderful partners out there that, that it could have gone with. Uh, we ended up this going this way. Obviously, again, it's that algorithm. It's that, it's that thing that they all, that everybody thinks they're chasing. And this didn't happen to land in that bullseye of what everyone was chasing. So we felt let's retain what we can retain. Let's get this out into the world uh, on demand. And because again, just want the people to see it, you know? So we'll do that and then we'll, we'll take theatrical into our own hands and see what we can do with that next year. So we're thrilled to, to have Gravitas has a far reach and they're able to get it out to a lot of places. And, you know, we're happy with that. So, but yeah, the sad trombone, cue the sad trombone in the island. <laughs> It'll get to the audience. It's yeah, funny. no, it will. And, and anyone, just the small handful of people that have seen it, they are, you know, they're telling everybody about it because again, it's one of those, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that if it really resonates with you, you, you want to make sure other people see it. So I was looking at your CV a little bit and I was looking and I'm going to make it a hypothesis that you're attracted to landmarks of age. You know, there was coming of age pieces and some of your work and then kind of end of life things and some of your work. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, um, what draws you to the subject matter? I mean, obviously it's, compelling no matter what, but is, is yeah. there something else that's tugging at you to document these moments? Well, I mean, and that's remarkable that you kind of drew that parallel because you're a smarty smarty, but um, <laughs> I had not drawn that parallel. Maybe you should come over and draw some more parallels for me, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> actually a lot of the subject matter um, is just definitely the human part of the story of like with uh, a finished life, which was uh, uh, about uh, um, a man who had been HIV positive half his life and determined that he no longer wanted to fight. And so uh, spent the last six months of his life, you know, saying goodbye to everyone in his family. And that story came to us. Uh, it was a friend of, of uh, my partner, Barbara's uh, sister. And I met him and I said, why are you doing, you know, I, I instantly like wanted to talk him out of it. I wanted to like, just be, you know, and so I found that any story where I, I really feel like I, what are you doing? Or how, why did that happen? You know, that, that the thing, if it peaks something in me, I, I want to share that. And, and for me, actually, the parallel that I see is really the journeys. I, I really like to join a journey. Um, and uh, I guess, uh, I have not quite worked out in therapy yet why that is, but I do try to work it out on the screen with a beginning, middle and an end. Um, but yeah, I am drawn to journeys. Uh, and, uh, and so um, that would uh, get us to this, which is that kind of that, that final journey for our parents, which is whatever those years are and those final years and how, what we can do to add quality to that and to join them in whatever ways we can and, you know, uh, give them more highlights, you know, and, uh, and uh, hold on uh, during the tough times together, you know, so, but I love that. I want you to look at some other things in my life too, and help me with that too, when you can. I appreciate sure. it. Yeah. So this is kind of going off topic a little bit again, but you know, I love it. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned making short films in between making documentaries, like, you know, yeah. a, a scripted narrative short. Mm -hmm. yeah. What keeps on drawing you back into the documentary world after doing those scripted narratives? And have you ever been thought, like, have you ever been drawn to make a feature film uh, scripted film? Yeah. Or is it just like, no documentaries just, that's more important to me. No, I've written, you know, 
four or five feature narratives, you know, that I'd love to make, but these stories keep finding me. It's like, just as I think, but also it's so exhausting, again, getting back to the fundraising part or getting producers, getting the money, getting the funding, getting the backing, you know, it feels at times documentary, so much more can be in our control. Um, as far as uh, getting telling the story, than all of the unions that are involved in telling a new narrative film and all of the um, uh, rest of the a whole other aspect of funding for cast and you know all of those aspects of it. So to me, though, number one is is story. So I'm just it, these stories find us, tap us on the shoulder, and then we just kind of go with it. You know, it's just like an Uber shows up, the door's thrown open and we jump inside and that's the next film, you know, and that's kind of what happens. So we don't necessarily even know where we're going with it, but I love narrative. I, 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 I just love storytelling. So it's just what, what presents itself. If someone came to me with a giant foam core check right now and said, what would you like to do next? I'd, I'd love to do a narrative, uh, a narrative film about, growing up in the 1970s in the neighborhood I grew up in and, and all the things that occurred in that neighborhood. Um, and, uh, but I, I'm not sure that that will happen next, you know, so we just go with the flow over here. In the spirit of more random questions that are just coming please, from our heads. Please, only <laughs> random. That's what we like here. I can't, I, there's something chewing at me and it's that I think I'm nervous to watch your movie. And I think there's something where it's like, I'm my son is two and I have like this new soul that like gets hurt more easily <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. And like I'm nervous about all these things that I wasn't nervous about before. Um, but you're presenting it as kind of like even a how-to guide, and it sounds like there's some levity there. I mean, from the trailer. Um, can convince us if you don't oh, mind yeah, absolutely. Um, you know the joys and the, the the levity that come from this film that for those of us that are afraid of watching this kind of yeah. content right now don't, yeah don't be afraid don't be afraid <laughs> here's what I can tell you it is absolutely you are a fly on the wall uh, entering these living rooms of these families and you I hope forget you're watching a documentary and you really just feel like you're spending time with all these friends these people who become friends it is filled with humor I lead with humor. Humor is my weapon. Humor is my ointment. Humor is the medicine that I live with. It's always been that. Uh, class clown, Ocean View High School, class of 82. So um, 50, almost 57 if you're doing the math. So <laughs> um, humor is in everything I do, no matter what it might be. So this is not like a long march towards death. It is not a story filled of sad with sad old people. It's actually about celebrating what, where we've been and what we have ahead of us. It's about strengthening the bonds. You know, I mean, you say you have a two-year-old son and I think you can probably not want to project yourself into the future to when that son may or may not be his wife. You hope he marries well because the wife will be the one helping take care of you. Um, <laughs> but this if this is filled with love, this film, it is a celebration of love. It is a celebration of connection, of humanity. And so don't deny yourself that by not seeing it. Give this to yourself as a gift because you will learn from these families in a way that you don't even know you're learning. This, I'm on a journey 
in this film with both my parents uh, that's about forgiveness, that's about letting go, that's about allowing space for people to be human. But we celebrate the fact that, you know, um, Esther, Esther, who's one of the other storylines, we have, we, we follow my parents, uh, my two parents, those are the main storylines, but we have, as I said, 18 other, uh, a total of 18 families. And Esther, who's one of those, was a comedian and vaude, uh, oh, Catskills, a comedian in the Catskills, an amazing performer. We show footage of her performing as a young person. Her daughters became, came to Hollywood and became comedy writers and then supported their parents. So we now are with Esther as she's 90, you know, and she's still singing. So she's, you know, she, something happens, she ends up in the hospital. She's in her hospital bed singing while she's eating pudding. You know, uh, it's, it's, you know, just filled with a celebration of those relationships. So do not be afraid of it. I promise you that it, your life will be enriched by it. And, and in a way that, um, you know, the murdery miniseries that we all uh, got started watching during uh, the pandemic uh, did not bring, you know, you'll tingle after this. That's what I said. <laughs> Expert response. To stick yeah. with, uh, with it's not a burden. Wh where did this come from? Was this just you like looking at your, your, your parents and saying, there's something here, like there's this story that we have to get out in the world? Or was there like a deeper kernel of, of knowing that this is going to sustain a feature length documentary and not just yeah. be a short about your parents. Right. I never would have made the film just about my parents, first of all, because again, I, I really, even though the things I do are highly, the stories I tell are tend to be highly personal. I wanted everyone to have a way into this. So we were on the road with packed in a trunk filming. We were in uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts. Uh, we were in a historic barn filming a beautiful interview and my phone is buzzing. And it's my mother's caregiver saying that my mother's locked herself in the bathroom. And, you know, can I talk her down? You know, we get back to our house that we're staying at. And I have a message from my dad that he needs to schedule cataract surgery. Can I take him? So I'm thinking, uh, I've got to do this when I'm not on the road. When can I schedule these things? And, and a very dear friend of mine, Maxine, who's also in the film, she was a decade ahead of me on this caregiving journey as we watched her with her mother, Esther and we were talking one night and I found like I was telling her about a dementia medication that my mom had just been prescribed and Maxine said oh my mom had that she had terrible side effects find out if there's another one and and then I we were talking about which pull-up do you get for your parent you know and it's like this one's more absorbent you know and it was like wait we weren't even talking about like you know what we were binge watching we were talking about our parents and so I realized okay this is happening to me this is happening to Maxine and and as I started talking to people, it was sort of almost like, like a zombie movie where you'd look and suddenly someone else was telling their story about caregiving for their parents. Somebody else was, and they were popping up everywhere. And I thought, this is the film. I need to document my story with my parents, but we need to reach out and find other families with different stories to tell and, and put this together. And so we just, with that, with that very bare framework we that's what we moved forward with and, and that's you know that's how we ended up with this group of of stories and and these people which you know kind of 
sing the sing the chorus of this song that we're trying to sing for everyone. I'm also thinking about, I mean, from everything you're saying, I'm also thinking about distribution, right? So, you know, there is a world, I mean, I don't know what rights Gravitas has, but there's a world where you go to senior centers and you go to retirement complexes and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about kind of alternative ways you've gotten your film out into the world? I mean, that's something that documentarians have that fiction filmmakers don't have. And I've always been jealous of that. Yeah, no, it, there are so many opportunities for those like community based and, you know, uh, things. Our film has not been in the world yet. Our film premieres June 1st. So it has not been seen really, but by a handful of people. Uh, Gravitas does have a lot of those rights, educational rights, things like that. Um, we will have the ability to do special screenings if it's like for a nonprofit or things like that, you know. But, um, but and that is why we retained our theatrical because we did want to have that experience out in the world. So maybe it will be a, a group uh, from a senior center buying a block of tickets to a thing and coming and seeing it in the theater. Uh, but yeah, normally that, that is a really, it, and it's such a create a world of carving out the rights. And, you know, um, we were lucky uh, that we uh, had the support of the film collaborative. I don't know if you guys are familiar with I that. I work for them. Okay. Well, Orly is a dear friend <laughs> and uh, we love them. She's my and, boss. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Lynette was like so supportive to us during our fundraising and Orly has been a dear friend and been with us for, for all our features. She has helped us in one way or another negotiate our deals and do all of that. So she is a, a gift to all filmmakers everywhere, Orly Ravid. And um, so uh, we, uh, I think it's, it is important for filmmakers to inform themselves and understand that if someone's looking for an all rights deal, gosh, don't do that, you know, and, and really do try to carve out. And so we really felt like holding onto our theatrical rights was an important thing to do because the world would open back up. And, and so we will hopefully partner with some uh, organizations that are involved in this sector to help us present the film in theaters to, to audiences. So a question that Liz and I love to ask, uh, and we don't always get the chance to ask, but I'm gonna take it now. Um, what, what do you do for your full-time work to pay for your life? Is, this? is, it, is, is, is it this it? This is it, or... this is it, this is it. But what, you know, it's not a glamorous full-time life, but yes, this is it, this is it, yeah. So and there's no other jobs that you have to do to pay well, the bills, we do. it's just no, a documentary. No, no, and there's lots of, and there's, and there's lots of bills and there's lots of small side filmmaking projects and, you know, different small things, but filmmaking is what we get to do, you know, um, and, and we're very, very fortunate to do that. But um, it is, you know, I'm, I don't think you're seeing any big jewels on me or anything like that. And uh, <laughs> I think I have three pair of Converse, you know, but it's a humble, it's a humble life, but, um, but we do it telling stories and, and we're very lucky to be able to do that. Is it corporate video in addition to documentaries? Not, no, not it... corporate video, more personal projects. We have a lot of, you know, people come to us to, you know, uh, little mini documentary shorts, little mini, mm. just projects that come through more, but not, not, no, because we don't conform to those. Here come the lights and here's all the cameras with the, you know, we just don't, we don't, we're very creative about it. We're, it's very, you know, uh, it's very Rubik's cube every month to get all the bills paid, you know, but, but we do, we do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Very, very lucky, but again, very, you know, no one's sipping champagne, but it, it's good. We're 
We're very blessed. I, I'm like, I want to follow up, but I think it's too invasive. Um, we, <laughs> Are you going to ask me what rates on my mortgage? Or no, anything? no, it's just- Don't ask uh, me my weight. That's all I know. There's this myth, right? And this is like a, a personal uh, passion for me is this- is dispelling the myth that filmmakers are able to have sustainable careers from feature films. <laughs> and right. like, we, I feel like we constantly have to tell, I constantly have to tell people, you know, yeah. like people are not making any money. You know that? No, like, do you know they're no. not making? So just like right. you're reinforcing that perspective. Yeah. Um, look, if I, I, it'd be wonderful to have a deal somewhere set up and someone's paying you to just think about great ideas and do all that. And I'll conjure that in the future, I'm sure. But um you know, for us, we've just been lucky to sell a film and then have the proceeds of that film help us live and then use those proceeds. And then when you get your quarterly checks, use some of those proceeds to help you live. And, you know, but um, yeah. And then it's always fundraising for the next project, you know, so it's definitely um, so, so grateful. And, um, you know, uh, just, it's, it's definitely uh, a life that is, you know, challenging in, in all the ways of, again, uh, try every month, you know, where did it all come from? How do we get it? Empty out your pocket change. Okay, we made the payment, you know, that kind of thing. But but we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, so it has its own reward. So very course. glamorous. Yes, very glamorous. <laughs> um, well then let's talk about the other side of the uh, of the process. So I know before we even started recording, we referred to your lovely teammate Wendy who did some fundraising for the project. Are you finding uh, that crowdfunding is makes up the source of um, that financial, I don't know, that pile of money from which you mm. you make your movies? Or is it grants? Is it, you know, are you getting in kind? What how how are you building the budget for these projects? Yeah. So a lot of it it starts, uh, it has started, our last two films were started with with uh, crowdfunding. And then we just continued to reach out both to philanthropic individuals. Um, we've applied for grants. We've never received a grant. You know, we don't hit all the right points, whatever that might be. There are some people that are like superstars at applying for and getting grants. And we are not in that club with them and we do not have that jacket. But we are lucky to know a lot of people who are connected to people. You know, we live in Hollywood. So a lot of our friends are very successful and have been very supportive of our projects. We have friends who have been very generous for five films, you know what I mean? Like all along the way, uh, not all, you know, you know uh, but it just feels like we have been asking for money since 2001, <laughs> you know, since our first film, our, since our first short, which, which we didn't fundraise for, but you know, uh, it, it, it feels like that way. It's exhausting. That's one of the most exhausting parts of all of this, you know, as we all know is, is trying to raise those funds. But our, our, our dear producer, Wendy Zipes Hunter, she, wrangled and did outreach as well as our producer Katie Ford and also Maxine came on as a, as a producer and and we just had so many uh, people who believed in the subject of this film and and wrote checks you know um, and and really wanted to see this these stories told so we were very very fortunate if I'd been making a vampire movie I don't know that I could have raised the money that we raised making a documentary about uh, the relationship between adult children and their aging parents. So uh, this is something like I'm facing now personally on my, in my own journey as a filmmaker is like raising, like I, I raised money for my first feature, 
like somehow, some way it happened. I, I almost can't even believe right? it, you know? Um, and now yes, I have to do it again know. for my next project. So what, what do you do? Like, you know, you've done this a few times now, like, like how do you go about raising the money for the next one? Is it just completely dependent on each project or is there like some sort of thing or process that you go to, to like start the fundraising process on the next feature? Well, I mean, I think that if you, if you do your job and you make the film that you promised people you were going to make, then some of those people will continue to come along with you on, on the, you know, on the road to Oz for your next film and your <laughs> next film. And we have a couple hundred people like that who've done that, you know, who have, have donated to us uh, with each of our films. And, you know, we were very lucky that our last film packed in a trunk with, from HBO, we were nominated for an Emmy. So then you get to say Emmy nominated and that then gets people understanding the quality of what you're trying to do, of what you're putting out into the world. And so it's, it's easier to ask when you have a proven track record, I think, you know, and people want to be a part of something. And for me, I, I want people to be on that journey with us. I, I love that part of it. I don't love asking for money. I'm tortured asking, but I love sharing the journey. I love posting uh, pictures of behind the scenes when we're places. I love telling that story of making the film along the way. And I love giving that access to the people who are supporting us. So I think that's the secret is involving them in the, in the process. And, but it's still, it's still the hardest part. It's still the, the very hardest part, you know? Um, and just feel, you know, fortunate to have gotten here and, you know, just need to definitely rehydrate the soul before I start asking for money for the next thing, you know? So um, I know we're about to get to the final five, but just looking at this project, um, what would be the most ideal outcome of it? And I'm not talking about necessarily financial return, mm. but like if you could imagine like the most perfect audience reaction or the most perfect review, what would they say about this oh, film? Well, I'm going to tell you what would be is- Or that have they already said, sorry. Well- no, you watching the film. That's the, out <laughs> that's the outcome. Okay. That's the outcome. No, because, to, <laughs> because yes, because it's not scary. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated, like by what happened with the film, my octopus teacher, <laughs> which on paper is like, what? And yet what happened was People were telling people, no, no, you don't understand. It's not really about the octopus. You need to watch this film, right? And then it took over everyone. I don't know it was because we were all cooped up in our houses, whatever it was. But my point is the ultimate reward would be that this film becomes something that an, a beautiful army of people are advocating on behalf of and that they're telling everyone in their life to watch this film because of what you will walk away with. Um, you know, and so that will be the success, you know, it's not a number or how much, or do we, oh, wow, what a cash windfall. We can make all our films now. Would that be wonderful? Oh my God. Yes, it would, you know, but what the real purpose of this film was to help a people know they're not alone in this journey. And for the people that haven't been on it yet to demystify it, to show you the opportunity and the, uh, the space that you can have for the capacity to love, to forgive, to, 
do things you didn't think you could do, you know, when put in those situations. So I don't think you have to have an aging parent to watch, to see the film. I don't think you have to have lived this. I think it's, it's good for the soul to experience this, you know, it's extra credit homework for your soul, you know, and, and um, it's, uh, that is the goal that it will be, that it will be people talking about it to everyone in their life and feeling the urgency of, did you see my octopus? Well, have you seen not, it's not a burden? You know, that's, that's, that's the goal is to really have that. All right. Well, I think it's time. So I'm going to just jump off with the first question. What's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Oh, first film was with my partner, Barbara Green, and it was a very personal story for her uh, called How You've Reached Dave's Apartment. It was a short film about her spending an hour with her brother who has schizophrenia. Uh, setting up his answering machine. It was her with that camera, one camera, small camera, filming in his apartment with him. And it was beautiful and simple and beautifully edited. And I stood by her side and helped with the storytelling. It was our first film together. And we premiered at South by Southwest. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, we didn't know. And uh, we were younger then, it was 2001. And it was, she had started as a still photographer and that was really doing video. So filming that. And I'm like, that's a story. We need to tell that story, you know? So that was our first collaboration. And I feel beautifully about that story. Um, our first uh, narrative, I would like to go back and edit it a little differently. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, 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 I'm still very proud of, of all the stories. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? I'm, I'm so lucky to have so many amazingly talented filmmakers in, in my life, in my personal circle. My dear, dear friend, Jane Anderson, who has done some amazing films. Uh, Olive Kittredge, uh, she wrote Olive Kittredge, adapted that. Um, she uh, was on like a 17-year journey with the film The Wife with Glenn Close, which was just recently nominated for all the things. And um, but Jane, we did Packed in a Trunk. It was actually, it was actually the story of Jane's great aunt Edith that we were telling. And Jane, who's this very successful Emmy winning, bold name in Hollywood, uh, came to us, her dear friends, and said, I wanna make a documentary about my great aunt Edith. Would you guys you know, uh, make that film? Would you wanna make that film? And I said to Jane, well, what interests me is telling the story of you trying to find out what happened to your great aunt, Edith. I wanted to follow her. And I guess getting back to the question of what was the greatest advice, I guess it was actually the greatest gift that was given to me, which was by this very successful uh, storyteller, trusting me to tell her story. So I guess what that advice was, was, Trust your instincts because that is a good way to tell this story and, and, you know, to follow that personal journey. So for me, it's not a technical thing. It wasn't about, you know, um, but it was just about trusting your instincts, you know. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? <sighs> to have something fully funded before I start it. Yes. <laughs> that is my goal. Yes. To have full funding in place before I start a project. And, and that, that is the goal. The other goal, obviously, is to create stories that move people, change people, shine a light on something that's in the dark, you know, um, 
but you know, the true gritty answer is to have a film <laughs> completely funded in place before we start. And that's, a, you know, who will understand that? Other filmmakers. Uh, if you could go back in time, uh, what's the piece of advice you would give yourself? Are you looking to that to be film related? No, it doesn't <laughs> It's it doesn't a real human answer, which is like, forgive your mother sooner. How do you do that? Right. But it is what I would do. Boy, yeah, it is what I would do. And final question, is making movies hard? It, yes, and it's worth it. It is, it is, it really is hard and it really is worth it. So it's both. Sell your wares. Remind everyone where they can see your movie on June 1st. Yeah, so the film is called uh, It's Not a Burden, The Humor and Heartache of Raising Elderly Parents. Um, Liz will be talking about it all over social media soon. Um, And uh, you can go to our website and we'll have all the links that'll take you to iTunes, Apple TV, all the different streaming services where you'll be able to see it. And we're so proud and so excited to get it out into the world and to hear everyone... uh, we look forward to hearing from people after they've seen it and uh, want to know how it, how it affected them. So it's not a burden.com. I already shared what I thought about Michelle and I can, I can pontificate further, but what do you remember? Even though it was just a week ago. Yeah. I, I was just surprised that she was a full-time uh, filmmaker and that's what she did for money. You know, I think that was cause like, you know, we were talking about this the other day and like, mm-hmm. Oh, we need to ask people this question more. Like we, we forgot to ask a couple people about this and yeah, I was just really, that was surprising to me. Um, but also really cool to hear. I also thought it was really interesting about like, the way they fundraise and approach their projects. Like it's, you know, it's sort of just like, okay, let's do this. Let's figure this out. Let's, oh, how much money do we need? All right, like, well, let's just do it, you know? And they don't like go really high necessarily. They're not like hiring a bunch of crew. They're not like trying to get a bunch of like frills on their film. And it's just like, what do we actually need to like fly to the places to interview the people that we want and, you know, be able to like survive while doing it. It's like. Wow. Okay. Pretty good. Very basic and straightforward approach. I like it. I was also thinking about how we talked about how certain filmmakers have success as a result of their partnerships, which I think you spoke of recently Mm -hmm. in a recent episode. And uh, I think Michelle's partner's name is Barbara because she said it so many times that it feels like it's Mm -hmm. ingrained in my mind. And I was just like, this Barbara sounds lovely. Like we should all find our Barbaras. Like what a fantastic (laughs) partner to have who really collaborates artistically with you and takes on so many different crew positions. I think when I was a kid imagining what the life of a documentarian was like, I think I imagined what Michelle and Barbara's life is right now. It feels Mm -hmm. like a tough but ideal existence in terms of intimate collaboration and doing projects you really believe in. And I liked that about talking with them. I do really feel like the partnership is like huge, you know, like whether it be yeah, somebody that you shoot with, write with, direct with, like a producer, you know, I think that's super important. And then also it's like a life partner. I feel like supportive life partners are really important too. Cause like, if you don't have a supportive life partner, like how can you do anything? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now just thinking of like all the people I know who are amazing single people who are probably great at putting their projects no. together. And now I'm like... <laughs> Not saying you can't do it when you're single. I'm just saying that like, you know, if you don't have a supportive life partner or your life partner is not into the art that you're doing, then Oh, then it like like slows you down. Yeah. Then you can't do anything if you don't have that, you know? 
single people can do whatever they want. They're single. (laughs) (laughs) They can find different partners that aren't life partners. They could go all kinds of partners. Yeah, whatever they want to do. My my boss, like a long time ago, an old boss used to say to me, no deal is worse than a bad deal. And I think that's what you're saying, Mm. too. It's like Mm -hmm. a bad deal is a partner who can't support you as you go out and try new things with your own career. Right. Right. Um, exactly. It's better to be single than to have someone who dissuades you <laughs> to go out on your own. Right. If someone doesn't like really think that what you're doing with your filmmaking or your art is important and that you should be doing other things with your time, then, you know, you either decide that, OK, well, this person is more important than my art and I'm going to forget my art or you find a new person. <laughs> I suggest you find a new person. That sounds really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, but, um, (laughs) let's talk about our latest sketch, Shorty. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. So this week we have a short film from writer-director Ambrose Miller called Banana Peel Man. Also, uh, Ambrose comes to us via Chonstar Anderson. (laughs) Thank you, Chonstar, for this. This is great. Um, I'm really excited to have Ambrose here to talk about the short. So without me saying anything else about it, Here's Ambrose. Uh, Ambrose Miller here, director of Banana Peel Man, which is a short film I made in 2018. So why would you make a short versus um, any other medium? I suppose the main thing, uh, more or less, was just uh, um, realistic parameters, if that makes sense. Like there was, there was a lot of limitations. I didn't have much budget. I didn't have a lot of time. I couldn't afford to do something else like a feature film or a web series, I think. And I wanted to do it more as an experiment, I suppose. That's what a short's for. You experiment, see what you can do with, uh, you know, about 10, 15 minutes of screen time. So yeah, um, it just made sense at the time to go with a short, um, given what I was capable of. I suppose that's it. <laughs> and uh, why this story? Why Banana Pill Man? It was just the idea I came up with at the time. There's nothing that special to it or hidden in my backstory. I was doing a screenwriting class at the time and... For that, I came up with Banana Peel Man. And um, because um, it went pretty, I don't know, just everything flowed very well in the screenwriting class and it came together very easily. It felt very healthy. Um, So I decided, yeah, I'm just gonna use that and do the film on that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought it was a funny story. I liked it. Other people in the class loved it as well. Um, So I guess there's a lot of reasons why I picked it in the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did my team come up with the funds? Uh, We didn't really. Uh, most of it was came out of my own pocket in the end. I think I'm probably about 60-70% of the film came from my own pocket and that of the producers. And the rest of it came from crowdfunding. But um, we only, the budget, I mean the overall expenditure was probably only about a grand. So it wasn't too much to come up with. Um, yeah, just had to save up money a few weeks from work, you know, tighten my belt a bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how I raised that money. Yeah, I did do other projects later on where I raised um, actual money, but uh, no, not for this one. So yeah, before making the short, what did I think would happen to my career because of it? Um, not much. I was doing it mainly as a learning kind of um, learning a st- learning step, or just for just for the experience mainly. I'd never done a short before. I wanted to see what I could do. I wanted to see if I could do it well. Um, so I wasn't making it with the idea of oh, what's it going to do for my career? It was more how's it going to teach me to use tools and get used to making films so yeah um i suppose that was all there was to it so it didn't end up doing much for my career i entered it i think in three film festivals submitted it into eight made it into three i guess a couple of dozen people ended up viewing it so that's what it did for my career 
got me a probably, or maybe, let's just say 100, maybe 100 or so people viewed my film in the end, which is good. Uh, so yeah, that's what I ended up doing for my career, yeah. Now that's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? Uh, not much really, I just see it as a embodiment of what I could do for my first film, or what I ended up doing for my first film. I think it's what I ended up with, so I wouldn't say it's a complete embodiment of what I could do, because I, I feel like I could have done better looking back at it, but hey, an artist is his own worst critic. I think that's the same. Would I do anything differently story-wise now that I've seen it released? Yes, yes. Um, there's a lot of things I would change. Not a lot. I think a few of the minor plot points, like in the middle of the film, there's a scene with some with a balloon and some kids. I would have filmed that differently, or I might have replaced that scene with a different one. One with a bit more of. Uh, maybe one a bit more emotive or with a bit more comedic value. Uh, I just don't think I directed that scene well enough on the day and it didn't end up quite as powerful as it did in the script. And um, I did wish I added in the script we had a funny um, sex scene between Alex, uh, the main character, Banana Pill Man, and his suit in this dream sequence. I think it would have been fun <laughs> to experiment with that and see how that ended up looking. I, I just put that in there for the sake of trying to be um, dumb, abstract have a bit of an art house moment in the film. I thought it would have caught people off guard. <laughs> yeah, I wish I put that in there. Talking about my decision to go for the, oh yeah, for my, the four three ratio. There wasn't much artistic merit to the decision for that. Um, our editor noticed that our cinematography wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. And um, parts of the film didn't mesh together in the edit lab that well. So we just decided, oh hey, we'll just make it look like a dingy 80s retro VHS comedy and therefore that'll fix all their problems and uh, to his merit the editor was Chanstar thank you for the idea Chanstar it did work it did work yeah and we we remade the poster to look like an 80s poster as well so yeah it was mainly just as I said to cover up how shitty it looked <laughs> that was the reason we decided to go four verse three so uh, in the future if I do another four if, you, if I do another film and it's a four to three ratio <laughs> you know why yeah, um, but that's everything. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to talk about your work and what you learned from it. Yeah, yeah, so... See ya. We're adding a new subtitle to the show. It's... <laughs> it's... Making movies hard. Sorry. Arc Purcell, Liz Manichel, uh, co-starring Gary Kennedy, Travis and Madison, Charn Star Anderson, featuring only Australian short films. Like, yeah, that is like... Much. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Australian short films. It's great. Yeah, John Star should basically just become a contributor of the show now. He's just like, he should just be in the credits as con contributor, you know, we weekly contributor, John Star. He's helping a lot. So, Liz, what did you think of Banana Peel Man? Super fun. Super funny. I was trying to think of things to say, right? Because we always try to think of constructive things to say. And I was thinking about how um, parody gets a free pass. When you do things that kind of make fun, and I don't think always – because I saw your eyebrows furrow, but um, but very often I think it gets a free pass because it's postmodern. They pull in lots of references. What's a pastiche? You can blame all flaws on style. Like if there was an awkward cut, you could think, oh well, they were trying to be like the awkward cutting patterns of the early 1980s or whatever. Um, so I enjoyed this short, and I was able to not. Uh, criticize it because anything that felt awkward felt purposeful. I love the music. I love the framing of the of the cinematography. I just love how like characters would be like slightly cut off or you see like a part of them 
but they still fit really like poetically within the frame. Um, I would say if I have one criticism, I don't fully buy Black Wonder changing his mind. Um, and it came out of nowhere, but that's part of the comedy. So I really don't have any criticisms. I thought it was great. Ambrose, you're wonderful. All right. What do you feel? So I really like the tone. I like the performances a lot out of a lot of the superhero movies I've seen it was or shorts specifically, it was very different than other superhero shorts, you know, with its style and the way it was four by three. And it was like doing this like sort of Batman, um, TV show sort of thing that it was like homaging to a lot, especially even with like the uniforms um, and the and the masks and everything and just the, the style and the way it opens with the, the narration and goes in, it just felt very much like that in a way. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I was okay with the Black Wonder twist at the end because like realizing that he was the kid that he saved and then the other guy putting it together that this guy was the guy he saved in the beginning opening. I thought that was But worked. why were they fighting? And I could, I don't, I lost why they were fighting to begin with. So the come to moment and in uh really <laughs> pack a punch so to speak yeah I, they're fighting because the the hero of this story is a total jerk and it's just <laughs> like <laughs> like challenged him to prove a point because no he reason. thought that black wonder was making fun of him and his friends of which he was and he was like you know what i'm better i'm just as good as a hero as you like let me prove it to you and like let's have a showdown it was like a completely misguided <laughs> thing and then the ending is so funny because it's like and i'll just spoil it I mean, he ends up killing Black Wonder by accident. Right. And and then it's like, at the very end, the reaction isn't like, oh shit, I fucked up. It is, we won! Yes! It's just so funny. funny. I just really thought that was great. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I, I really didn't like, I thought, I, I, I question, and I wonder what you think, is, um, you know, like, it, it had this four by three style. It was doing the Batman TV show thing. But I feel like for now... It's like that that landmark of a reference is like so lost on like 90% of people. Like, I don't know how many people remember the Batman TV show, you know, especially younger people. So like, I think maybe it would have been better if they had made fun of more modern day superhero movies and like done like the framing and the style that was more like making fun of Marvel movies today rather than, you know, something that's like so old from like the 60s that like a lot of people don't even remember. So that's interesting because I know you keep saying it's referencing the Batman TV show, but it's so desaturated because like the 60s Batman TV show was very saturated and really punchy colors and like very stage like, right? Like everything was shot on, mm -hmm. shot on the stage. But this really felt like afternoon after school special from the 80s to me. Like mm -hmm. that's what mm -hmm. I thought it was referencing. So now your question is proved in the fact that I didn't get the Batman reference at all. And I do watch the show. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe no, you're probably, you know a little that. bit more about superheroes than I do. I think you're probably right, <laughs> but you're right. The reference is probably gonna be lost on a lot of audience members. Maybe Amber. It was almost like us. it was, it was like an old serial even, like not even just mm -hmm. like, but it was like a, you know, like this old timey But approach. it had the video Either... tracking on it too, right? Oh yeah, he, they did. That's true. So maybe it was this 80s thing. But I then know. I was like, after school specials, were those a thing in Australia or is this like a uniquely ridiculously corny American thing that only we experienced? Like, I don't even know if that is a reference that is global. Or maybe he watched uh, the Batman show on VHS um, and not on uh, TV like we did. It's his own so personal reference to Batman television. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, maybe hopefully we just found out why from Ambrose. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, he hasn't said it in yet, so I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But I, I don't know. I, I really liked it. I, enjoyed, I actually watched it twice. It was oh. it was fun. I just, I guess, I think that I shouldn't. That I should say that I really loved. That was so great. Was that they just get shot by this guy, know, and that they crazy. called the guy Knife Man. It's like Banana Peel Man knife man and then he's like oh i brought a gun today instead of a knife and then he just shoots all three of them and they're all in the hospital it's like this is amazing it was very surprising that 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 happened i was like surely they're gonna miss like you're not gonna show someone get shot in this like i thought it was gonna be kind of like a g-rated comedy kind of thing but (laughs) a little a little more yeah it's kind of presented that way like it's gonna be like really like harmless you know and then it it just it's a little it's got more edge to it which which i really appreciated but anyways, what, what do people, what do you guys think? Did you guys like uh, this film from uh, Ambrose or did you want more? I mean, it's only got 200 hits. I feel like this movie should have so many more views. What's with like, like marketing? Like Chartstar is doing a great job marketing by getting these shorts on the show. But like, what are they? This is an entire film school, right? That made this short. It's like a class. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. That it was they have in more part... than 200 friends between all the cast and crew. They couldn't send out an email. So. Yeah. Get yeah. at least a thousand. I mean, geez, Louise, yeah. you know, um, but, but anyways, Liz, I think it's time to uh, go to You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've Got Mail. We have a letter from our f- best friend, Travis White, um, from Wet Denim Productions of famously Travis and Madison. Uh, so Travis writes, what up, Ulrich and Liz? Uh, you've got mail. Uh, two things. One, take it for what it's worth, but we too miss the old format of the show. If I may toss in my two cents, the original format felt more organic and of natural order. It was like a UFC card. <laughs> don't understand that reference at all um you had your opening fight you've got mail uh sometimes some extra exhibition matches soap soap dish etc your grudge slash contender matches get shorty only to be capped with the main event of course the main interview we're essentially starting with the entree first and following up with appetizers diving right into sexy time but having the foreplay afterwards let's get the tickle in before we get the pick i can't believe i just (laughs) walked right into this without reading it um but keeping but keep giving your post interview thoughts commentary always golden take it over all right and then he says number two so our boy G. Ken, uh, who's Gary Kennedy, once commented over how we found the inspiration for our first short in the adaptation of a short story we found on the Reddit subreddit, our short scary stories. He then added the great resource that is the R writing prompt subreddit. Scrolling through it is basically reading a ton of log lines. Maybe it'll spark something, Gary. Well, I wanted to add <laughs> and point listeners, viewers to also check out the subreddit, R produce my script. Whether you're a writer trying to get your indie script sold and or shot, or you're a producer director trying to find your next script to shoot, feature or short film, it's a fantastic place to hunt for inspiration or to inspire others. If I'm looking to get my script made, I'd simply make a post detailing what it is, its genre, logline, page count setting, or how many locations, actor character requirements, and what compensation I'm looking to to get paid, credit, or both. If I'm looking for a script to make, I'd similarly make a post or request dealing what genre type of of story I'm looking for, my max budget, my location cast resources available, what compensation is available, my goals, and any other information I may find relevant. Then you'd submit, put it out there, and wait to see if you get any bites. 
It isn't a guarantee to get your script or film made, but it does happen often as the subs includes a long list of publicly available films that were produced via connecting through the subreddit. And it was how we found the script to our second short, Man Seeking Man, which we shot last year and we are currently submitting to festivals. Um, he also has another get shorty um, submission, but I think we can just skip that and we'll just, uh, you know, get it out there. And then lastly, he says, P.S. Ulrich, give us an update on the alternate. The people want to know. And then he says, thanks for everything y'all do. Love Travis White of Travis and Madison fame. All, and then that's it. <laughs> um, just to like reinforce that, I chatted with Kimo Diada, who's one of our listeners. And he also is just desperate to see your film and is oh, wow. excited to pay for it and would like an update. Mm. So you're gonna have to give everyone an update right now. Okay, well, um, I'll do the update and I wanna talk about this subreddit, but first <laughs> the alternate, yes. Um, we have like four more visual effect shots to do. Um, they should be done in a week. It's amazing. We are like near the end. Um, it's crazy that we're here. Um, color has been like almost entirely done. I just gave the final notes um, and, you know, the the colorist is a commercial colorist, so he's really busy right now, but um, he's going to be able, once we get all the visual effects shots in, he's going to do one final pass, mop everything up, and then that should be done, hopefully, um, I think mid-July, reasonably. Um, and then sound, oh my gosh, sound is just taking forever, but I'm hoping sound's going to be done soon too. So I'm, I'm really hoping that the final, final movie is going to be done by the end of July. Uh, and we are um, submitting to film festivals. I am at 30, 30 plus now submissions, good. which is really good. Um, I've got probably like another, at least six that I know of that I want to submit to that are coming up and I'll probably submit to probably 10 more. I, I bet I'll be, I'll get probably close to 50 when I'm done, most likely. Um, but yeah, uh, no bites yet. I mean, we, we kind of had some, some sort of interest and in like some possibilities, but like nothing official. Um, so it's just, just in sort terms of, of distribution or festivals, which one festivals we already have like distribution options lined up, uh, but basically, like, in order to get the ones that we want, we have to play a good festival, um, and for them to take us seriously because my producer Jeff has connections at all these really great places, and pretty much like you know, if we play the right festival, they'll be interested. If we don't play a festival that's you know, within a certain list of them, then um, we'll still submit it to them, but we're probably not gonna get bites, you know? Um, but he has, you know, the one that he's recommended for us, which I don't, I kind of want to say, cause I want to talk to you about, but I kind of shouldn't say, I think I'll just leave it up for now, but um, don't it's really say, interesting. And then we'll talk about it when we're not recording. <laughs> it's really interesting. Cause that's not what I was expecting him to say. Um, and then he gave me reasons why he said them. And I was like, oh, interesting. So, hmm. you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk after this but um but yeah so it's really close um to being finished uh i uh, i still need to do the credits um which is like on me to like just finally do them um but yeah it's all kind of coming together we've got a poster that um is hey. in the works which is really cool uh, and then i i think i'm gonna just edit the trailer i i was gonna have a friend do it but I, I don't think he's gonna really has time. So I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm just gonna do it myself. So yeah, so that's kind of where I at. So it's an exciting time. I mean, I feel like there's a couple of really good festivals that I think we have a good shot at for the fall. Um, and then I'm just submitting to like every horror and sci-fi like genre festival I can get my hands on just cause I really wanna play a bunch of these, these smaller festivals. Cause I think if we can play a bunch of the ones where the fans are, then 
it'll really help with marketing later, especially if we can capitalize on that and like, you know, get email addresses, like you always say. Um, so um, hopefully that's where it's going to happen. But uh, we'll see. It's kind of up in the air. But I mean, I feel like we have good, good shot and uh, some good prospects. Um, so yeah, I'll, once I know where we're premiering, I'll announce it to everybody. It's just around the corner. But I want to know, Liz, what do you think of this subreddit? I, did you did you didn't look at this? I I can't imagine. No. Um. <laughs> though I love crowdsourcing, like in general, like I'm I'm the opposite of Andrew Carlberg, Carlberg, where I'm very <laughs> unstrategic and just throw things out into the ether and see what comes back. Because I really love I love letting kind of chaos and entropy take over. So no, but um, Reddit was like one of the reasons Jim Cummings' career rose you know what i mean Mm. like there's a real sincere community for film lovers and filmmakers on reddit so i'm not surprised and i uh maybe i'm gonna post on reddit at some point soon to find more scripts i love it yeah i I looked at it it's interesting it's like you know there's a few things on there that you can read it's it's mostly like a lot of people requesting shorts or oh i need to find a movie that i can shoot for this amount you know or whatever and then like i immediately was like this is just like putting things out into the blender that is the internet and then seeing what comes back to you. And it's like, you know, if you already got people that you collaborate with, you write yourself, you know, it's like, is this really where I want to like be putting my energy is like out into this, this internet blender. And it's yes. like, I don't know, maybe. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> I'm reading a script right now from someone who I like wrote some comment on Twitter about how all the scripts I'm reading have like a woman in her twenties running and they're all horror films. <laughs> And he's like, mine doesn't. And would you like to read it? And I'm like, well, you know, if you're interested in me directing it, sure. And I started reading it. It's really good. And he's like a bloodless writer. And he's like a Nichols Mm. quarter finalist or something. And I'm like, hey, that's this is a stranger and something good seems to be coming out of it. Doesn't mean the project's more focused from your Twitter. It's not from like this random sea of people that you don't that don't have any connection to you and or, or read your volume or I am not above any way you. to get a script I am like just constantly trying <laughs> to get my hands on scripts that I could be attached to because I I told you last time I'm on the Seth Rogen train of planting seeds right now so I just want to <laughs> right. I'll plant some reddit seeds if they want me so what uh so what what is your plan now that you have like this script that you read and you're talking to this writer is it like okay you sign a contract you try to get on and you try to develop it together or do you just like attach yourself and like just move on to the next thing like what what do you do in this situation well okay so i'm pitching on a few things right now i'm like kind of i am attached to a sci-fi feature that i love and we're trying to find financiers and then i'm semi-attached to this horror script that needs a rewrite so it's basically going talking with the writer seeing what their relationships are um seeing how they feel about the script because right now i don't think it needs a rewrite and then um it's using the relationships I have on other projects because horror people do want to invest in horror and trying to connect with investors through that, those means. And it's not cast contingent, right? The sci-fi film we think is cast contingent. So our goal right now is casting as we try to talk to financiers, but horror, I think I have some ideas about how to get to horror um, financiers or individual investors. So basically it's assessing the project, seeing where it is, and then actually using my relationships to get it off the ground. Because mm, I wow, basically cool. have never felt confident about a script to a degree that I would 
pitch it with a certain degree of fervor um because the scripts i've written i don't think are great i think they're passable and if i really love a script i'm willing to kind of risk a relationship to ask someone to read it and to think mm -hmm. about coming on board and you have some connections that you think could potentially help in this yeah i mean i've been working in artist support for like 10 years so like i've met people at labs i've met people it doesn't mean that any of them are going to say yes but so for the sci-fi film i attached as producer last week i signed a contract attached as producer and director and that day I sent emails to my four people that I know are involved in film investing or in, mm. and I just sent them a really passionate pitch email. All of them are reading the script night now. Maybe all of them reject me sight unseen, but I don't feel bad because I think it's a good script. Mm, so it's all about being like proud of the material, I think. Yeah, totally. You got you to be proud of it. You got to believe in it. I think that's like, the most important step for any project is to really believe in it and be proud of it. And then like be willing to risk everything for it, you know, which I think like a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. <laughs> or to look foolish or to look, or to be vulnerable and hear a bunch of no's. Like maybe some people don't do it because they're afraid of hearing no, but I've been rejected right. so many times already that like, right. no, it's worth the no right now yeah he's got to make sure that like you know the right people to send it to which i think is like the hard part for most people because i think a lot of people don't have those kinds of connections to the financier people or the producers who they could send it to so it's like where do those people start you know and it's um i think it's just a hard question but i think you just got to go to your network right and like if there's anyone in your world who you think might be able to help you make this movie either through financing or through connections or through whatever it's like take the gamble on that person and share share with them the thing that you have you know also, um, if you don't have connections to financiers, then it's finding a producer and, and finding enough, finding a fantastic DP, finding a great casting director. It's like suiting yourself up in some way with other teammates to yeah. expand your reach. Um, you don't have to start with money. You could start with team. When you send uh, the, the the script out to people, are you do you also have a deck that goes with it or are you just sending the script without a deck? We have a deck and I'm going to send the deck after they read the script. Personally, I think the material should speak for itself with this script, but if the deck laid out crazy additional information that couldn't be shared in like a one sentence, um, then, then I would share the deck. I mean, or if it was like really professionally done and really polished, I'd share the deck, but our deck is just like a nice keynote presentation. And we already have two actors attached who are also producing. So when I send the script out, I CC their actual email addresses. So to me, that's oh. currency too. Like that's like, I'm connecting you to these actors. We're all very serious about making this movie. Wow. And are the actors known actors of any type or are they like? I mean, one, one is uh, on a Netflix show, but the other one is an actress that I've been trying to work with for years. So the, oh, it's wow. like, not like, you know, it's not. I don't know what would be the Jennifer Lawrence It's not Jennifer Lawrence, but she's really wonderful. So to me, she's a list of my heart, right? I've said that before, but she's a list right. of my heart, but maybe not a list in terms of other people and how they view her career. Right, right, right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It's because I've been having this discussion. Like I've been talking to my producer about this and he was like, yeah, like if you don't have a deck, like you have nothing, like you have to have a deck in order to like start financing. Cause like, you know, no one's going to read the script pretty much unless like, or they may, but it's like, it's such a big ask to get someone to read a script. But if you have a 10 page, 12 page 
pitch deck, it's like, that's a much easier ask for someone to take a look at. That's true. That's very true. I, I, I agree. But if the script's really good and you really want them to read the scripts, you just send the script. Yeah. I don't know. know? That's, that's, that's what my partner on this movie says. And, and like, he's like, I don't even think we need a pitch deck. We don't even need it. We never, I never look at pitch decks. He's like a, an assistant for these, these like top, top line producer people. And he's like, I don't ever get decks sent in. It's all, it's always just scripts. But then my counter to that is like, well, when they go to their financiers, they're certainly sending a pitch deck. They're not sending or just the script to their finance or, yeah. or something, right? And so like, if you're going to direct like private individuals who may or may not be professionals in the business, may or may not have time to read a script, may or may not even know what a script is supposed to look like. It's like those people, it feels like, okay, definitely send a deck because shorthand. like, you know, if you send them a, a hundred page script or a 90 page script, they're going to be like, it's just going to sit in their email box and they may not ever download it. You send them a, a nice little deck. It's like, okay, it answers the questions they care about. Like, what's the deal? What's the budget? What what am I getting myself into? Who who could potentially be in it to, to help it? How are we going to get our money back? That's like the main questions. Like any any investor meeting I ever had is like, those are the questions they care about. A thousand percent. I don't know. Anyways. Wait, but I, I, really, I, it's the, you're doing the short game, I think, or it, which could turn into the long game, right? It's like, how do I get my answers quickly? But I, I think it's like you show, you lead with strength, which I think is the script. And then you invest people and then you like give them more information. You give them more information. You keep on, like for me, it's like doling it out strategically to keep them hmm. hooked. <laughs> That's what right. I'm doing. Which is the right. long game, which is not as effective sometimes. Sometimes you need well, the short game. I think it's just a different, there's a different person too. It's like if they're a professional and they know the business and they read scripts all the time and they want to read scripts, it's like it's a different person than like, oh, I'm thinking about investing in a movie. I'm interested in it. I'm not sure if I want to or right. not. Right. It's not like, a new, oh, if it's a newbie thing. Yeah. How, how do you, and, that, and that's like most of what, like, you know, like who I've encountered are either people who are new to it people I know who are friends who are like, or, or acquaintances who may be interested, you know, or like a friend of a friend, like that kind of person, you know? Yeah. And so it's yeah. like those people. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, it, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm really interested in talking to more people about because I want to hear what works for others. Cause you know, my friend is like, you know, he's like, damn the deck decks waste of time. Send the script is so good. Send them the script. They'll love the script. It's like, but you got to get them to read it. And like, I think like he's just taking it for granted that people are going to read his work and it's mm. like you know mm. like some people will and a lot of people are going to but you know if you're trying to raise money like yeah maybe it's not as it's not a, it's not a guarantee all the time i guess it's situation specific i agree and yeah. i create a deck when i pitch each time i pitch on these films right so I'm not above the hard work of creating a deck. And I think a deck really illustrates your points. Anyone's points much better. Pictures are always better than words. So I also, I do, I do want to end with an encouragement for people to create decks. I just didn't do it this time because I didn't think it was the strategy. Strategy for me was different. <laughs> Here's a question. Yeah. Do you always share the deck? Like, let's say like you, you make a deck, you use it to pitch off of, do you always give it or no, do you sometimes no. not? I just learned about this from my DP for life, Julia Swain. Um, because she puts in a lot of effort and work into her, um, her lookbooks and we arranged it, uh, and I've arranged it now in all my subsequent pitches that I just screen share and I present live and I don't send along in advance. Uh, now that I'm attached to this project, I've sent it to the actors and I've 
I'm willing to share the PDF because I have a contract that protects me. But I never thought of that as IP. I never thought of like coming up together and putting a few images from of Jessica Chastain was, you know, valuable, but like it is because she talks about the visual design and how we light it and how we move and all of these things that are actually really important and specific to how she works. So mm. I I learned that you're not supposed to send the decks um, if they're if they have kernels of information that's really valuable. Yeah. Well, the lesson I learned was that you don't send it beforehand. Like if you're going to like send it after the pitch. So like when you do the pitch and then at the end of the pitch, you either leave the deck or you email the deck when you send the thank you for letting, letting them pitch. And so that was sort of one thing I had heard, you know, recently. Um, But yeah, this this idea of not sharing it at all, that's also very (laughs) intriguing. I well. Because I'm getting pitch practice, so I don't know these people. And I, you know, if they they were if they responded to my thank you note, <laughs> which they didn't, and Ooh. if I ever heard from them again, which I haven't, then maybe I would share the deck. But for me, it's mm. like or if they asked, right? If they asked, I would consider it. But it's something you hold off until you are prompted to share. I think. Um, yeah. But everything you're saying is really interesting, and I love that there's like 15 different ways to do this that's all totally and i'm i'm curious to to hear what what ends up working like when you make the deal to direct your next movie like how did you do it i want to i can't wait to hear that story because it'll happen i hope so at some point in the future (laughs) um but (laughs) and and it looks like we have other comments that we were going to share but we're going to hold off this week yes because we want to shorten the show. So if you want to reach out to us, there are many ways to do that, including writing a YouTube comment, which you could do on our YouTube page. You just search making movies as hard on YouTube, or you can support the show on Patreon at www.mmihpodcast and um, give whatever you can. Every single dollar goes to making the show. Thank you very much in advance. If you want to send a comment, question, suggestion, or get shorty a suggestion, podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you also, if you like this show, what is meaningful is leaving a review on iTunes um, or any of the other places you listen to podcasts. And finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast. Thank you for listening. Elric. And thanks to Michelle Boyner for being on the show and to Susie Cornell from Piranha PR for setting up the interview. Thanks, Susie. This is like the second or third person Susie sent, and we finally said yes. So good job. Check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about this episode. Not quite yet. I am like taking some, like a little bit of slower time at work now. So I should be able to do it soon. And thanks to editor. I think I, we've decided I'm going to edit this one. So thanks, thanks Ulrich. Thanks editor. <laughs> and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And thanks uh, again to Travis for writing in and, um, you know, like sharing stuff. It's great. And we'll talk to you guys all next week. A writer, director, producer with two featured. Blah, 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 blah. And we also have a new letter to read from a certain. Why can't I speak? Uh, I hope some of that gets cut out and not. No, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll. I mean, if, if I give it to Cameron, he'll leave everything in. If I do it, I'll, I'll snip it. Um, <laughs> I was like, listening but, uh, the other day, I was like, oh, I guess we're keeping that stuff in. All right. <laughs>